The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. For purposes of our budget hearings, uh, Madam Clerk, may you please call the roll? Councilmember Benson. Scott Benson, aye. Councilmember Dora Hall III. Present. Councilmember Johnson. Councilmember Santiago Romero. Councilmember Waters. Present. Councilmember Whitfield Calloway. Councilmember Young the second. Here. Council President Pro Tem Tate. Council President Mary Sheffield. Present. Madam President, you have a quorum present. All right, and we did receive notice from Councilmember Santiago Ramiro that she would not be present, and so that uh, will be placed in the record. All right, before us today, we have the Museum of African American History, our favorite departmental hearing. <laughs> uh, and so you all can kick it off with your remarks, and we'll go straight over to uh, Q&A. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's good to see all of you all again. I guess this is the second time we've been able to actually see folks in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as one who is extremely tired of Zoom meetings, uh, this is a great <laughs> pleasure to see all of you. Um, as most of you know, the Wright Museum was founded in 1965, uh, incorporated in 66. It is the nation's oldest, and until the Smithsonian African American Museum was built nearly a decade ago, if you can imagine, it was the largest encyclopedia Museum of African-American history in the, in the country. Um, it is the only African-American museum of scale in Michigan and the Midwest. It is founder of the African-American Museum Association and largely credited with being the impetus for the creation of African-American museums across the country. Um, so as we know at this particular moment, just to set context, the attempt to raise key aspects of African-American culture are, are well underway. Attempts to erase, I should say, key aspects of African-American culture are well underway across the country, with many states banning the teaching of key aspects of our history in schools, books being removed from library shelves, and advanced placement, and advanced placement courses eliminating the teaching of critical aspects of our culture's profound and indelible mark on American life. It is in this context that we come before you today to ask for your continued support for our institution. Uh, we are asking to, for the, the uh, council to consider uh, a $2.6 million in operating support and $2 million in capital support. Um, the annual operating budget for the right is $8 million. Um, the support that we request of $2.6 million is based on a 2008 study commissioned by the Ford Foundation when our building was built, which indicated that in order for the right to operate as built, it would need an annual operating budget of a minimum of $8 million, a budget size we finally realized this year after 30 years, and nearly 30, 30 years later. Um, the city would also be required in that report to 
contribute $4 million of that $8 million budget at a minimum. Uh, the city's proposed support of $1.9 million requires the right to raise in excess of $6 million in operating support every 12 months. This is not including the capital improvements, which I will get to in a minute. Of this amount, roughly $1.6 million is spent on routine maintenance and upkeep of the right facility, a facility that the 501c3 nonprofit organization does not own. It was a city building. A challenge for us in raising money to maintain the facility has been the philanthropic community's resistance to fund a building that we, in fact, do not own. But leave this uh, when we after we pay the 1.6 million, the current proposed allocation would leave only $300,000 to address the mission of opening minds and changing lives through an export through a uh, robust exploration of African American history and culture and its profound impact on our lives. Our request for 2.6 million allows the right to invest $1 million in its core programming, and the other general operating needs and staffing. The inability of previous administrations to raise this kind of money every 12 months <laughs> has resulted in instability of the museum to adequately address its core mission. To be clear, our current financial model is not sustainable and calls into question the seriousness of the commitment to making sure that our history and by extension, our culture is here for future generations to understand and appreciate. Our capital support request is for $2 million. Uh, last year, we came before the body to address critical deferred maintenance needs of the institution. Our deferred maintenance plan was a result of a study that the city did in 2019 which identified $25 million in deferred maintenance on the Wright Museum facility, if a check could have been written at that moment. What that means is that that $25 million continues to increase as time goes by, and we estimate that by the time all of this money could be raised, that it could be as much as $30 million to complete all the deferred maintenance. The next two years, there's about $2 million of these issues that will come due. The right has raised about, oh, I'm sorry, 10 million. The right has raised, allocated about $4 million in its budget to cover these costs, but it will not obviously meet all of these needs. Critically, this year it is a mechanical system, which we referenced last year as a multi-phased in, uh, installation costing $8 million alone. Absent the city's support, the right is being asked to fundraise over and above the operating piece of $6 million to find additional resources to fund critical capital needs, again, on a building that it does not own. Incidentally, this is the hardest money for a nonprofit to raise, even in the best of times, right? It is something that the philanthropic community uh, has not been very enthusiastic about supporting. Uh, but that having been said, we have been happy to do our part and invest uh, dollars that we have been able to raise and ask for money for the city's building. However, without any current support for these costs from the city, 
I hope you can appreciate how challenging conversations of the philanthropic community are to raise this kind of money. I want to ask Jeff uh, Anderson, who's our executive vice president, and who really works closely with our facility, to talk about some of the capital needs that are on the horizon. Thank you, Neil, and good morning, everyone. Morning. Um, I just want to give you a quick update on where we are from a capital standpoint in addressing uh, the $25 million uh, in capital improvements that Neil referenced. Uh, we are currently a year and a half into what essentially it will be a four-year-plus project of overhauling the museum's mechanical system. It is an ongoing project, right? So we, at that time when we started the project, the cost was estimated at $8.5 million to complete. That covers the entire mechanical system. The building itself has 11 air handling units. Boilers, chillers, all everything has to be replaced. And so that is a project that is ongoing and cannot stop once the project is underway. So it consistently has to be funded. In addition to that project, which will complete in 2025, we are also addressing in the coming year in 2024 some other critical infrastructure that has to be addressed that was also called out in that report that the city commissioned. And those items are the passenger elevator will be overhauled, the freight elevator will be upgraded, the orientation theater on the first floor has structural damage, which will be addressed this year. So this is just some of the capital projects that have to be undertaken. These are major. This doesn't even speak to the smaller capital projects that we don't have enough time for me to discuss. So it is critical uh, for the city to recognize the fact that this institution is raising money, putting money into the building. We need this as a partnership. We do thank you for your previous support, but we need to have that support continue throughout the years. All right, thank you. Anything additional? I did want to just say a little bit about the millage because it was referenced in some questions that we did, did have. As many of you have heard, the museum is pursuing a property tax millage through the creation of a historical authority in combination I'm sorry, in collaboration with the Detroit Historical Society. Uh, this millage, when passed, is designed to create sufficient funding to maintain and sustain the organization in perpetuity. And this would relieve the city of much of its general fund obligations of having to pay the considerable costs that we're recommending. And I think puts us on a path to have a sustainable model uh, for the museum going for, forward. However, it is important to note that doing a millage campaign is not an inexpensive endeavor. <laughs> that ra raising the money for that campaign will also add to the rights budget an additional, uh, what we're, our consultants are saying, up to uh, possibly $5 million to our budget to run that campaign. Um, that is assuming that we, um, that is a, that would give us the most robust campaign and allow us to address any uh, adversity that we may find in the, in the community about this particular kind of initiative. But I did want to address that because it just adds to <laughs> what we're talking about. For sure. Thank you. Uh, and if the clerk would note, we've been joined by Member Johnson, please.
All right, we'll go straight to questions. Um, so you mentioned the millage. That was one of the questions that I that I actually had. Uh, do you know roughly how much annually the millage will generate for the museum? It depends on what uh, point millage they um, is approved. Uh, how this would work is that each county would have to approve the amount of uh, the level of a millage that uh, that we would receive. Right, and so the legislation that has uh, been advanced in the Senate and the House would allow us to go to up point up to point four mills. It doesn't mean that either county will approve point four mills, right? But at its maximum, it would generate for the right about twenty four million a year um, for a period of ten years. Those funds would primarily be used to create an endowment, which would then give us the operating support that we would need in perpetuity. If it's less than four in either county, that would mean it would take longer for us to be in a position where we would not have to continue to raise the kind of money we're talking about to operate the facility. Got you. Thank you. Um, and then I know that in this fiscal year 24 budget, there is a 26.9% percent um, decrease uh, in the proposed budget, $700,000. Can you speak again to the impact that this has on the overall operations of the um, museum? Um, I think the decrease is primarily related to coming back up to uh, uh, capacity post-COVID, right? Uh, we're all seeing, you know, our audiences, our members uh, coming back. We had virtually none for two years. Uh, we were at 20% capacity for many years, um, meaning we were only allowed to allow 20% of our capacity in the building. So some of that is reflected in coming through. But, but also, you know, our theater has been offline because of some uh, structural damage that was incurred there. Um, as well as, uh, you may recall, I'm not sure if we mentioned this last year, but there were two floods at the museum uh, that the, the system, the, the um, I guess it's a sewage system, uh, backed up into the museum's ground floor, uh, leaving us with four feet of water on the first floor. Most of those, uh, uh, the, the charges for that were covered by insurance, but not all of them. And of course, we have had to put our collection in storage while we restore um, that ground floor and make it more suitable to house the 35,000 um, members of our parts of our collection that we have. Okay. And just so I'm clear, um, in your opening remarks, you mentioned that the request is $2.6 million. Yeah. However, you guys were budgeted 1.9. So you guys are asking for an additional 700000 That's correct. Okay. That was the amount we got last year. Okay. Yep. All mm -hmm. right. And so, um, and then the, you said you only needed $2 million in capital dollars. I know you have huge capital needs, but the request for the city of Detroit is $2 million. If you can just speak again to what that will be used for. You want to take yeah. that? Yeah. So, um, so the amount that we actually would need would be 5.5 if we were complete. Mm. The, the, the entire cost, cover the entire cost of the mechanical. I'm sorry, if you can uh, press the bottom of your microphone, please. Thank you. The um, the amount that we would need would be $5.5 million because the project, the mechanical project, is $8.5 million estimated costs. Uh, but based off of previous uh, years of capital uh, allocations, we, we figured that it would probably be somewhere between $2 million and $2.5 million. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, I would like to put this portion of the budget into executive session to see 
uh, what the city can do and just look into this a little bit more. If there's a motion to do so, please. Motion. All right. Hearing no objections, we will add uh, the Charles Wright Museum to the executive session. All right. We'll move to questions, starting with Member Johnson. Thank you, Madam President. So you did um, touch on a couple of questions that I had, but I'm wondering if uh, there are any budgetary concessions that are in place to assure that the museum remains open and operating for the Detroit community. We've done a couple of things over the last several years that I've been here to create an operating reserve. Uh, that reserve currently sits at one point um, six million, I believe that it is. Um, however, part of that reserve is uh, necessary because we do on capital projects typically have to put that money out and then have it uh, reimbursed by the city, which the city has been great about doing, but we needed to have a pot of money there to be able to even do that. Uh, I, I sort of smile because four years ago that would have been just ridiculous for us to be able to do, but we have put money aside for that, right? And we have created and continue to, where possible, um, add to our endowment. We have an endowment at the Community Foundation and a, an additional board-restricted endowment of about, what is it total now, Eight, about $8 million in all? That does throw off some interest. But both of those things are meant to help us weather any kind of future uh, problems. I, I, I would say, frankly, more uh, what would be more important is these capital needs because, for example, if this elevator was to go out, uh, we wouldn't be able to operate the facility or the mechanical system, which are the chillers, meaning air, HAV, HVAC systems, you know, both heating and cooling. If that goes out in the middle of summer, right, we can't operate the facility, right? And not to mention the restrictions that are made on the artwork or the collections that we have. They have very strict humidity controls that are required and temperature require, uh, controls that are required. And that all has to be maintained within that facility. It's more than just like a, a warehouse that we run, right? It has all these very specialized systems that have to be maintained, mm -hmm. yeah. But we're doing everything we can to, uh, and even the, the scheduling of the, the capital uh, work has been done so that we can continue to operate the museum while this work is being done. So on days that we're closed, there's a lot of work that's being done uh, just on the maintenance, et cetera, uh, that the public doesn't see. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, the other question I have is, do you all provide any services or support to black Detroiters or African-Americans in general that gives them the ability to trace their lineage we have uh, had more genealogy programs in the past, right? Uh, we don't do that as much anymore, but it hasn't been because we're not interested in that. I think it's a program that we will continue to develop and grow now that our staff has come back on board. We lost about two-thirds of our staff during COVID, and so we're just building back up. But that is certainly a program that was very popular with folks, and we'd love to continue and grow. Excellent. Thank you. I think that would be um, certainly a great way to drive membership and to to get more people to the museum. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you Madam President. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Member Johnson. Member Young. Thank you, Madam President. Through, through the President, Mr. Barclay. Always a pleasure to see you, man. Always a pleasure to see all you guys here. Um, I just wanted to ask you, seeing since it's Women's Month and the topic of reparations is, is going to come up soon. 
has there been any conversation at all about um, basically highlighting women who were successful in the reparations movement, um, whether it be Belinda Sutton or Belinda Royal, whether it be Callie House, or whether it be um, Henrietta Wood, who successfully sued, received the most amount of money, uh, to about $20,000, I think, in today's funds that she received. I think it's close to 2000 or somewhere back in those days. Um, has there been any discussion about talking about the history of reparations as a project, and how much would that cost you? <laughs> um, the cost is really up to would be a function of how big we want it to go, right? yeah. how much we want it to do, right? Uh, um, but we have done a number of uh, workshops and study groups on reparations generally. Uh, we did that during the COVID period, uh, both online and somewhat in person. So we have been engaged in that. We have not specifically focused on uh, women and their role in that. But um, as we learned doing our Voting Matters exhibition, the role of women in securing the right to vote, uh, particularly black women, has yeah. been incredible. So it doesn't surprise me yeah. <laughs> to learn that in the reparations movement that um, black and women of color were the leaders in uh, in that movement. So it's certainly something we could explore. Well, sure. no, I mean, I agree. I mean, there's, there's a direct line. I mean, you could draw from, you know, Elizabeth Freeman, who was the one who sued Massachusetts for, uh, for freedom from slavery. That was the first place where slavery was codified to, you know, Constance Baker Motley to Ella Baker. I mean, there's a direct line, you know, to Mary... Mm-hmm. Uh, McLeod Bethune, there's a direct line you could draw to in terms of, you know, to, you know, to Irma Henderson and Joanne Watson here. You know, there's a direct line mm-hmm. you could draw to. Um, I also just wanted to ask, and this is just uh, my, my final question I wanted to ask, though, because like you said, it's so important for us to talk about um, history and how we got here. I, I also just wanted to ask um, very, you, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to ask very quickly, um, has there ever been any real discussions in terms of how we've gotten to where we've gotten historically in terms of the black community? And what I mean by that is the fact that you can explain a lot of what black people are going through now based on policies that were done in the past. If, 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 you, if, you, if you, you could talk about something that's explosive in terms of black-on-black crime. And you could talk about that from the perspective that that wasn't always the case, that there were people who were Caucasian who were committing crimes uh, during Prohibition. You know, it was the Purple Gang here. It was the five families in New York. It was the L.A. Mafia on the West, um, the Chicago outfit in Chicago. And the responses are different because during that time, they passed a constitutional prohibition to End pro it's an end alcohol prohibition. Constitutional amendment. I mean, could you imagine that today? Mm. And there was a response to invest more federally in terms of um, community programs, in terms of recreational centers. There was also an opportunity through the New Deal where a lot of these folks who, you know, were, who were Europeans that were not that were deemed less than and were discriminated against, not the same way black people were, but who were discriminated against, that were grandfathered in to the New Deal, that got mortgages that black folks that didn't get, got um, Social Security that black folks didn't get, 
Um, they got job opportunities that black folks did get. I know I'm kind of going about this in a, in a real roundaway point, but the reason why I'm saying here is you can use history down the line to explain a lot of the reasons of why things are the way that they are. If you talk about income inequality uh, in Georgia, you know, they used to levy slave taxes and they would levy higher taxes on free blacks in order to push them back into slavery. And so that was really kind of the first income inequality using tax policy. Has there been that kind of discussion at all in terms of just using history to kind of explain? Because of what you were saying earlier in terms of trying to um, reshape history, I think it's more than that. I think it's trying to dehumanize and devalue a group of people. And we've kind of gone from biological determinism to cultural um, pathology which I think is equally racist and equally harmful, but I think it kind of it, it kinda, it, it uh, shows you, it kind of defeats a lot of those talking points using history. I know that's a lot to lay on you. That's an incredible lot of oh, responsibility I, I, to lay on people who are not elected. But I think if people understand that history, I think we have a better understanding of why, you know, when people talk about critical race theory, that it's such a farce, it's such a bastardization of what that actually is and why we are where we are having the conversation that we're having. Because we do not teach this history. And when we do okay. teach it, they ban it. And that is the moment we're in. I mean, what you basically have described is the attempt to not allow those aspects of our history and of history in general to be widely told and understood is why you see in places like Florida and other states they're taking books off of shelves they're you know they're uh, not allowing you to teach certain kinds of uh, certain aspects of our history this is a deliberate attempt to e to take that out of the discussion and to just concentrate on what they see as the parts that are not as um, I don't know what, <laughs> frankly. It's hard for me to imagine, but you're articulating the moment we're in, and it's why it's so important to have institutions like the right that are able to tell a more comprehensive story. Uh, not at the, not by trying to erase what is already on right. the record, but to add context and additional information to the record that exists. Well, I think it's just the validation of people's humanity. And I, and I think that's really what it is. I mean, how do you conquer a people? You, you conquer their history. Yep. And so I think this is just the validation of that of that history. If, if, if I may, Madam President, and then I'm, I'm no, done. Yeah, we, we yeah I know. I, what did you say? We, I just want to make sure we get to the rest of it. Yeah, no, no this, this is my I'm, I promise I'm done now. This, I, I promise, I swear. Uh, do you have museum programming scheduled for the next fiscal year? We do. Okay. Thank you. I'm done. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much, Member Benson. Thank you, Madam President, and thank you uh, to the right. Um, glad to see you all today. Um, Mr. Barkley, I see you every Friday morning at 8 a.m. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you tomorrow morning as well. And just um, the this current situation of the right, and, and this is where leadership matters. Uh, the right, um, about five years ago, was the institution that was living hand to mouth. We had times when the right was on the verge of closing. And if you look at our numbers today, that's no longer the case. There was a 300% increase in total assets um, from fiscal year 21 to fiscal year 22. And that's not by accident, that's leadership. And so when we look at what's going on with the right, we're looking at black excellence. And I just really want to acknowledge what's going on there and what you have done for this museum. 
And we just recently had the opportunity to go to Seattle with a number of my colleagues and about 35 um, a, um, activists, um, practitioners, elected officials, and government leaders. And the right was there as well. And so Mr. Anderson was there. Ms. Toms was there as well. And what people don't also realize is that the right also takes leadership when it comes to sustainability. And they've also now made a commitment to help electrify their fleet and bring charging online as well. So really glad to see that. And one of the talking points that Ms. Toms used while we were in Seattle was the fact that there are over 35,000 cultural institutions, i.e. museums, in the United States. That's more than McDonald's and Starbucks units combined. And just that type of footprint is huge. And for the right to take a leadership position there in sustainability is also huge. And so you talked about the millage, and this is something that's been brought up by my colleagues, and I want to thank the president for bringing this up. When we talk about the millage and the ability to get the right to a position of maybe having $240 million endowment, right now, if I'm not mistaken, the current endowment is $8 million? Roughly. So, but if you look at the institution that's right around the corner, the DIA, they have a, over $300 million endowment. And so if you can just imagine the disparity of wealth, and that mirrors the disparity of wealth of white families to black families in the United States, it's critical that our story be told and that we get that support from the millage and from both Oakland and Wayne counties to put us in a position where we can have the stability and the confidence that the right will be there for the long term. Le le living hand to mouth is not where we should be. And unfortunately, it's been seen as something that we deserve, that we should have to live in that type of situation and that chaos should be normalized. It shouldn't. We should have the same opportunities and the same financial stability as every other people and as every other institution within the city of Detroit. And so I'm really going to strongly advocate for that. And I'm glad that we placed this into the executive session. So I also want to make sure that we take a look at the capital investment that we're making. And as a building that the city owns, not the Charles H. Wright, the Charles H. Wright manages a city asset. We as a city should also continue to make the necessary investments into that property to make sure that we have the confidence that it will be there, that there will be air conditioning this summer, that there will be heat um, now when we need it and that the elevators will work to ensure that we're a barrier-free space and can continue on to have this type of leadership. And so it's just critical that we acknowledge that and that we continue to make the proper investments. And so I'm going to advocate and support the president when it comes to making those type of investments into the right. And as a trustee, I just really want to say that I'm really proud to uh, volunteer my time and energy and efforts to making sure that our story is told and that we support the leadership and acknowledge black excellence when it comes to how we manage and run this asset, which at one time, like I said before, was hand to mouth. And now the 300% increase in one year of operating assets, that shows we're practicing black excellence. And the team that has been assembled is also extraordinary. And we've recently added uh, marketing with Michonne being here. And so we're looking to uh, take that to the next level as well. So I just really want to acknowledge that. Thank you all. Uh, I would just add, if I may, yes. uh, that one of the important things about the city's contribution to the capital piece in particular is it's an extremely difficult argument to make to the philanthropic community to invest mm -hmm. the kind of money they have invested, frankly, that we've contributed um, as the, the right nonprofit to these efforts if the city has no contribution at all to those efforts, right? It's, it's almost a non-starter, so I hope that you all are able to find a way to, to fund that.
you done members? Thank you. Thank you, Member Benson. Member Waters? Uh, thank you, Madam President. So, hello, everyone. All right, and so I, I want to thank Member Benson for his, um, his passion for the museum, you know, and, and I want him to know that as a, uh, the fact that he's a trustee, I think that's a plus, plus, plus uh, for, for the museum, and I will certainly be following uh, his direction when it comes to how we should be fighting on behalf of the, of the museum. You know, I've been a longtime supporter uh, of the museum, so um, let me just ask you um, a quick question. I, I was looking for the number of memberships and employees that you have. I, maybe I missed it. Can you just share with, with the general public what that is? The number of members is roughly uh, 8,000 at uh -huh. this moment, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it has increased exponentially over the last few years. Again, we lost a lot of members during COVID, so we're in the process of building that back up. Mm -hmm. But those are 8,000 paid members. Um, we do offer a lot of free memberships to a number of community-based groups, et cetera. Um, and in terms of your second question. About 43. 43, yeah. 43. <laughs> Yeah, we're trying to build back uh, as much as possible. It's very hard to recruit people right now, as you all may know. Uh, people aren't as interested in working as they used to be. <laughs> right. I know. And you know, um, I used to be, um, um, used to work with uh, Judge Strong some years ago to, um, you know, hold membership events and that kind of well, thing. And so... Since uh, Judge Strong, uh, you know, I think I'm going to take that on, and it's just in his honor. I'm going to take that on and do annual uh, membership drives for the museum. So I've, I've said that today, Member Benson. <laughs> All right. So I, I look forward to that. So if you had just one, oh, you hear that, team? <laughs> Another assignment for us, okay? Um, if you had just. Um, no, let me ask you this first. Are you, um, do you sometimes ask for assistance on a congressional level, grants or whatever? And, and if so, uh, what would you, if you had just one request of them today, what would that be? I mean, in terms of funding for, for the museum, what would that ask be? <laughs> it would be a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. um, you know, we were just successful with getting some support from the state legislature this year. Um, Not the state, federal. Uh, federal. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I'm asking about, about the federal. Do you apply for federal grants? Uh, and if you were going to apply for one today or make an ask of the federal side, what would that be? Uh, I would probably ask for something in the neighborhood of $25 million. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I would ask for that basically to be able to address, at a minimum, the capital needs that we have and yeah. not have that something that's hanging over us constantly. Okay. It would also free up other funds to do more on the mission side of our ledger, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right. So it would be something probably in that neighborhood, um, if not more. Okay. All right. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Madam President. It is something, it's interesting you mentioned that, uh, Councilman Waters, because mm -hmm. we have just started to look into uh, congressional funding for the right. We haven't, we've been very successful on the state level, mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's the next frontier for us, absolutely. Well, sure, you know, let, let me know how I can help you push that, too, you know. I mean, we, we do have some leverage at the local yes, level, even do. though they're there, but 
but I think that we can we can write them letters. We can we can talk with our congressional representatives. We can do all of those things to support you. Thank you so much. All right. I appreciate Thank you. that. All right. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Member Waters. Member Durhoff. Thank you, Madam President. Uh, good afternoon to you all. Um, first, let me say, always a big supporter of the museum. Uh, obviously had the opportunity to uh, attend the National Museum in D.C., and when I go, I always brag that our uh, Middle Passage exhibit is better than theirs. So, so much uh, better. It's so much better. <laughs> so much better. Uh, and uh, but People we, say that to us all the time, by the it, way. No, no, it really? is. It, it is. I'm, I'm, I'm being honest. And... Uh, but with that, you know, uh, obviously when we talk about uh, Michigan and the city of Detroit being known now as one of the second greatest tourist destinations, uh, when I look at this budget, what are we doing to ensure that we're increasing marketing, uh, increasing trying to attract uh, tourists uh, to come down here and see our wonderful museum, uh, even folks from around the state? Uh, to, what are we doing? Uh, how much funding? Are we putting into, you know, trying to get folks to come down here and witness uh, this greatness that we have here in the city of Detroit? Ms. Sean, do you want to take that? Or? Hi, good morning, good afternoon. Um, so that's a great question, and it's actually one of our strategic priorities I um, in the marketing uh, division and we have someone who is specifically dedicated to group tours and one of her sort of strategic focus areas is the tourism space and so she works really hard in being partnership in partnership with all of the entities who really focus on tourism here and and making sure that the right is really known as one of the key destination stops um, it is also important in terms of our strategic priorities in terms of centering Detroit and making sure that everyone is understanding the history and the iconic nature of this city. And so being able to really speak as an institution who has been around for almost 60 years, being able to make that an attraction so that when people come, they're able to experience it and then they go to their communities and talk about it and then return. So that's something that from the marketing perspective, you all will start to see that even more that message, but it is something that has become uh, an incredible strategic priority and something of focus in our department. So I'm happy to speak on that. Thank you for the question. No, thank you, and, and, and I'm glad to hear that. And that kind of goes into my second question relative to our relationships with local school district, our local school district. Uh, what are we doing to partner with them to ensure that we're bring, bringing students uh, along to be able to? Uh, have that connection to that to our museum uh, and kind of infusing maybe programs uh, and just as member Johnson articulated too I, I know we have can't go deep into that uh, today but even when we you know go to the National Museum they have a place that you can research your genealogy right research uh, you know where you came from uh, and there's a whole center that is dedicated to that with computers and everything uh, and oftentimes when I visit, I see a lot of students there. So what are, what are we doing to uh, connect our museum uh, to our students here? Because uh, obviously that helps 
uh, not, you know, obviously we're a predominantly black city uh, or African-American city, minority city, however folks want to put it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it also connects other cultures as well, you know, not just DPS, but other school districts around us uh, so we can work on implicit bias that may exist. And what, what are we doing to connect to those school districts? Um, we do do, uh, uh, we do do a pretty robust business of uh, student and um, educational tours. We're actually at capacity uh, now, meaning that we have booked every available slot we have for student tours coming through the museum. What we're attempting to do now is to rethink how we're doing those tours so we can get even more people in, right? Uh, but it is a very active uh, part of the museum's um, vision for, for itself is to bring more and more students through the museum. What we've found historically is that people who, maybe many of you, you know, your uh, affection, connection to the museum, it started out as young people, right? Uh, your own coming through the museum, your own experience, and so we want to have as many students have that experience as possible. It's extremely moving to our young people to go through our core exhibit, as you can imagine. Uh, we have students come through extremely moved, changed, you know, writing for sending, you know, it is very impactful for them. So the more we can do to get students through, and I think post-millage we'll even see more aggressive uh, opportunities to even be provide buses for students, lunches for students to come through, you know, will be part of what we hope to do. Thank you. I'm glad you mentioned that, Millage. Uh, not a question, just so much more of a comment coming from the state legislature. I know there was a holdup relative to that Millage. Uh, it was very political. Yes, it was. Uh, and I, so I, I'm glad to see that there's some movement on the legislation to help move that forward. Uh, as I extended last year, if I can be helpful in any way, uh, please let us know as well. I'm sure uh, Member Waters will, uh, you know, sign on to that as well as. Uh, member Young as well, uh, but I think now the time is right and we, we can make those connections uh, Not just here from the city of Detroit to other cities, but from our county Wayne County to Oakland to Macomb as well So I appreciate you guys. Thank, thank you, you Madam President All right, thank you member Durha, and we've been joined by pro Tim Tate and you have no additional questions. Okay All right, there's no additional questions. We'll go straight to public comment and we're going to start with Cindy Dara followed by John Law. You guys will have two minutes for public comment. And then we'll move to our virtual callers. Yeah, uh, I was sending an email. Detroit Film Theater inside DIA had low attendance until they advertised Academy Award movies on WDET after Detroit Today Stephen Henderson show. So you might try that as get uh, about the museum if you're trying to get people to come down to it. That's a real good way. They have a lot of people coming down to those shorts and they hardly had any movies uh, attendance after the pandemic. So it's helped them a lot. So I, I but uh, I, my question too is, how many? Do you have any jobs that were funded with the opera, you know, the recovery money? And I want the council to look at all the departments because 
it may be that when those funds are gone, you're going to lose a lot of employees. So it might not be a very uh, good long-term budget. You ought to look at that. Because if, if there's no money, if the opera money's gone, then those employees may be gone too if you don't plan for it. And uh, I don't know. I, I still feel like uh, that, that there's a limitation on how much the brownfield can be used, just like that NEZ, I think. Now, I don't, it seemed to me that when you've got uh, no sales tax for the construction material, let's save the, these kind of benefits uh, that come with the brownfield and these other things. Let's save them for something that doesn't look like a monopoly. You know, you're, it seems to me you're, you're helping certain businesses, and they're in competition in capitalism with these other businesses that are already there. I don't think it's a proper use of the money, really. I just, uh, uh, you're, it's like a way of uh, producing more and more income inequality right, and more you, gentrification. Dara. And we're going to have to look at the tax, Dara, tax laws in the future, I think. Right, thank you so much, Mr. I will make sure your question is answered. Uh, John Love. John Love. I was an Army aviator and served uh, as a school support company down in uh, Alabama. And the problem I have is what happened to the uh, Tuskegee Airmen Museum here in uh, Fort Wayne. And that thing is just uh, was really well done. I've visited many times, and I've met these uh, trustee the uh, members. And what they did out at City Airport with the uh, Davis uh, Avi Aerospace High School closed it down and turned it over to the fire department. It's a total insult. Total insult. And then. I was here when they did it, and uh, the Tuskegee guys were just uh, kind of dazed, and it's just made me sick to see it happen. The next day, they started hauling the airplanes out of there, and they made the promises, oh, we're going to have the school for them, we're going to do everything for them. It's nothing but the fire department out there, and the whole school is just gone. That's incredible. And uh, you're looking for some money for the capital? Well, they want to give a million dollars for the football field at Cass Tech so they can get brain damage. They could give a Illich could write out a check for a million dollars and give it to the museum. That's the kind of thing that should be even in there. The other thing is, I don't know what kind of association you can have with Ford uh, Museum. And I've gone to these banquets uh, and so on that they've had, and it's just sad to see what has happened to the Tuskegee tradition in Detroit, of all places. So, all right, thank you. do thank something you so on that. Thank you, Mr. Love. Member Benson. All right, thank you. I just want to say thank you to Mr. Love for his passion regarding the uh, Davis Aerospace. And just so you know, Davis Aerospace has been committed to return by DPSCD. 
to the airport, and so that's going to happen. And DPSCD has made that commitment, and with the airport approval, the airport layout plan, there's going to be the funding for that. And so the, the advocacy of this body to make sure that happens is going to happen. And I'm sure the right would take a million dollar check from uh, uh, so as a benefactor of that level. So thank you. I want to take it for cash. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Member Benson. And we will turn it over to our virtual uh, callers. How many do we have? We have eight callers, Madam President. The first is William M. Davis. All right. Good morning. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Yes. Good morning. Okay, I'd like to start off by saying I have and continue to be a major supporter of the Charles Wright Museum. However, I'm, I was disappointed recently when they chose not to allow Kwanzaa celebrations for seven days because a number of community groups and organizations use that to help showcase the principles of Kwanzaa and that wasn't allowed this year. It seems like the museum has been drifting away from the Black community and Black organizations in the city. I, I think they should do a better job and we should always be able to have Kwanzaa for all seven days at the Charles Wright Museum. I think that was an insult. That's why a lot of people are turned off by the museum about the current management. You know, so I, I think there's a better job they can and should be doing. Also, since I have another minute, I'd like to say that I was very disappointed in the, the mayor's uh, presentation, his dog and pony sh show the other day, in that this total recovery of the city of Detroit was built on the backs of city of Detroit retirees, but yet not one word was mentioned. It's, as if, it's almost as if we have a millionaire mayor that only cares, cares about millionaires and billionaires. Because, you know, it's almost like he hates city of Detroit retirees. You know, more should be done. I would hope that y'all would step up since he's lacking in compassion and caring that y'all would step up and do something for city of Detroit retirees this year. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mr. Davis. And we will make sure you all can address uh, the questions after we are done with public comment. All right. Our next caller. The next caller is over with. Yeah, well, hey, I'm gonna come on here and I'm gonna say it just like it need to be said. Now, I'm gonna address Angela Whitfield Callaway. I just seen you see give two of your sorority sisters accommodations, um, and those those accommodations that you gave her, you know, y'all Greek letter organization who mission were was to be the upliftment of the black communities. And the core values of the organization have organizations, black Greek organizations have been diluted by assimilation into the society norms of a white society that's bent on disenfranchising black individuals. Now I want to speak to the municipal bond issue. All of y'all, Angela, have you told the council about the illegality of those municipal bonds, hundreds of millions of dollars based on the blacks and necks of the black citizens here in D Detroit. Now, Crafty Conrad and Crafty Mike that crossed the line going after Bishop Bynes and perfecting church. They didn't offer them no kind of assistance. 
no kind of help, no kind of opportunity, not the same way they offer to the white entities of related companies and Olympia development. They didn't offer them none of that. They offered them a lawsuit, but they gave them $20 million loans plus about three of them from the DDA. Now the BS blackface political figures here in Detroit need to be addressed. That's why Scott Benson is on a recall. There's a group putting together a recall to get you first. And then after that, we're going to go to the next one. James Tate, Mary Sheffield, Scott Benson, y'all approved them illegally issued municipal bonds, and y'all trying to keep it sec secret. We want the account balances. All right. Thank you. The next caller is invest in children, not greedy investors. Uh, good, good afternoon, uh, Council. Thank you for taking my comment. Uh, to hear our mayor with the Black Legacy Coalition, our museum has removed Black History Program, and we lost membership because under uh, this present administration, Neil Barclay and others, important community programs like our seven-day Kwanzaa celebration was eliminated, and the museum promised to include elected community members on the board of directors, which they haven't done. So a millage would be a slam dunk if the museum kept their promises. How much did uh, Mackenzie Scott uh, give to the museum? We have yet to find out about that. We need to have the museum be more transparent about the money and to include our, our community members that we voted on and they agreed to include on the board of directors. That's why Kwanzaa got eliminated because the community is not represented on the board of directors. The board of directors brought in a disgraceful exhibit, uh, um, which was the uh, Thomas Jefferson exhibit, uh, changing the narrative narrative of an enslaved woman, Sally Hemings, as a willing partner of the enslavement and rape of her and the illegitimate children of Thomas Jefferson. They have the wrong idea uh, uh, narratives uh, at the museum because they don't include the community. They eliminated uh, very important people like uh, Juanita Moore and Charles Farrell, who gave us uh, uh, important narratives and information and history that the community needs and respect. We are a Black power community, uh, Black power organizations like the Nation of Islam and others are not being represented because they are progressive in, uh, instrumental in uh, the All right, thank you. The next caller is in. The next caller is Marguerite Maddox. Madam President, she has two names in, so I'm gonna allow the first to talk. Okay. Good morning. Good afternoon, Ms. Maddox. Can that, that be it? Thank Good you. Good afternoon. Thank you. Um, Because the elevator to 
don't know I to really sit now working in it in it with my Thank you, Ms. Maddox. The next caller is Carol Hughes. Good afternoon, honorable body and guests. May I be heard? Yes, you can. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, let me say that the middle passage is a yeoman's job. I, my, our family reunion went and everybody was so impressed and they came from everywhere and from all over and they had never experienced anything so moving. So let me say that was a, a great thing about the museum. Um, but having a, uh, Sally Hensley, uh, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Councilman, he spoke so eloquently about girls being pulled into buildings and being raped and all kinds of things, but he disregards that story. Um, it, 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 she did not go willingly, I don't believe, and she did not have children willingly, and he was a slave owner, and uh, we promoted that. Um, Mr. Benson, <laughs> shame on you. Shame on you. And now I know why it's going in the direction that it's going and because you're on the board, right? You help direct this and we know where it's going. So we, we must remove you from, from all aspects of our lives. Um, let me say to you, council, we support everybody else's vision except for our own. A people without a vision will perish. You, as a body have no vision for our people. You are taking on the visions of other people. And that is the reason why we're in the shape we're in as a people. We have a vision for ourselves. We don't need to be told by um, uh, Mayor Duggan what we should think and what our vision should be. We have visions of our own that we want to put forth. And um, that CDGB money that Mr. Uh, Benson got, uh, I think that uh, it's it's a it's a it's a disgrace that he was able to even put forth anything he and his wife, but uh, it's it's a more disgrace that you did not include more of the uh, CBG money to things that were more beneficial. Thank you. All right. Thank you. 
The last caller to raise their hand ends in 534. Good early afternoon. May I be heard? Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. First of all, I'd like to say the Charles Wright Museum is just an absolutely fabulous museum, like physically, et cetera. Um, the last time I was there, it was either for Congressman John Conyers' funeral or to see my high school classmate, Robert Hurst, a very accomplished uh, jazz bass uh, player. Uh, play in the auditorium. I also have an historic piece from Nelson Mandela's visit to the United States, which I would like to donate to the museum in honor of the late great Fred Burton, the Silver Fox, John Conyers, Ron Scott, and maybe a few others. But I also have a suggestion for a permanent display about uh, uh, Agnes Hitchcock's Call Em Out Sambo Awards, all the winners and why they won also about this this displacement of African Americans from Detroit that's going on through the overtaxation, what I believe is the illegal nuisance abatement program, which is really an illegal use of eminent domain, and the mayor and the council or, or, or corporation council just putting it in the land bank, just putting a different color lipstick on the pig, calling it a chicken. Um, you know, I think what the problem with critical race theory is the name. We should call it complete history. Because even as a as a white child, we were kind of taught that John Brown was a bit crazy, yet Frederick Douglass credited him with helping end slavery. My absolute favorite American hero is Harriet Tubman, who worked with a lot of the white abolitionists. We should do uh, 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 an exhibit on people like that, like uh, Zachariah Chandler, staunch abolitionist, former mayor of the city of Detroit. Places are named after him. Violet, Violet Greg Liuzzo, who was killed by the KKK after the Bloody Sunday March and things like that. And then reparations, let's add the loss of the historic state fairgrounds, Herman Kiefer Hospital, all this unnecessary bulldozing. So let's tell the complete history. All right, thank you. Uh, that will conclude our general public comment. And if you do not mind responding uh, to a couple of questions that were raised, one of which was regarding the Kwanzaa celebration at the Charles Wright, there was any changes made? Um, there were some changes made. Um, there were some changes made, and, and we do plan to revisit that for next year. I think we can all agree that the community's feeling about that is that we should have seven days of Kwanzaa, which is what we've had historically. Uh, we were a little bit uh, caught by how Kwanzaa fell last year mm -hmm. and how the holidays actually fell in conjunction with Kwanzaa and had already made commitments to uh, our staff to be away from the museum. And so there wasn't a real way for us to do all seven days. We did the first day. We contributed to Kanara at... Uh, uh, that was uh, done at Campus Marches, cons considerable amount of contribution to that effort. Uh, we also contributed to several other Kwanzaa efforts around the city. So I think the, the issue is that we're not all at the right, <laughs> but we did not have the staffing actually to do it. So we know that that's an important thing for the community, uh, and we will certainly do everything possible to uh, make sure that we can get back to that uh, model in, in some form or fashion this year. All right, thank you. And then the this came up last budget, the uh, community representation on the board. 
Um, so I think what uh, what the caller was saying is that this is a separate body that has elected individuals that they would like to automatically put on the board of the right. The right does have its own nominating and governance process. It's a very simple one. You fill out a one-page uh, form that says why you want to be on the board, what you think you would add, and all of the candidates that uh, submit those applications are talked to and seen, and we come up with a slate. With this particular uh, group, we don't know who those five people are. Uh, the group refuses to disclose who they are to us, so what we're being asked to do is put five people who we do not know on a board without going through the regular process. As you can imagine, this group is not the only people who feel that they should have members on the board. <laughs> Our application process, such as it is, uh, does garner between, I would say, 20 or 30 candidates a year, <laughs> All right? So um, I think um, the process is really simple. If they, if they were willing to fill out the one-page applications, they would be considered. But under the current circumstances, I don't think that it, uh, the board feels that they could just add people who we don't know who they are or what they would bring to the institution. Right? All right. Member Durha. Thank you, Madam President. I just didn't want to leave out one of our great residents, Ms. Maddox. Uh, I was getting to her next. Yeah, <laughs> asked a question about this, you know, yeah, I was, uh, that accessibility. Was my next, yep. oh, well, I was I'm going sorry. down the line. Uh, yep. Yeah. So I'm just <laughs> taking them in order. I had upgrade the elevators, right, for Ms. Maddox. <laughs> yes. So if you were um, but I just wanted to go back to the community representation really quick. So there's there is no one currently sitting in that position from the community to represent. On we the have board. a number of members who uh, are very active within that particular group. They're not just the representatives that that, that group, that's group has okay. elected. Thank you. That's right. All right, and then Ms. Maddox called in regarding the elevators, and I know you mentioned that in your presentation, but if you could speak to uh, timelines for the improvements to the elevators. Yes, yeah. Yeah, so um, we're currently um, in the final designs, selecting the final designs um, for the passenger elevator, and because of the timing of the uh, equipment costs, we are looking to uh, undertake this project until 2024. Okay. The freight elevator um, will also uh, require some minor upgrades, and uh, we're actually going through that process now and costing that out, and we will also be undertaking that in 2024. So both the freight and passenger elevator will be addressed in 2024. It's also important to note that uh, because the museum remains open, we build capital projects, major capital projects, around the opening of the museum, right? So it's not an easy uh, fix uh, in terms of just undertaking a capital project because we build the schedule around the museum opening and any particular uh, large-scale uh, events or signature programs is uh, also come into play. All right. Thank you. And we did add um, this to our executive session to continue to have discussion. And so we appreciate you. I think there was one additional question regarding ARPA funding uh, and staffing. Is any ARPA dollars used for staffing? It is not. Okay. Yeah. All right. Member Young, did you have something? Yeah, I had, I, I had, had a question. Thank you, Madam President, uh, for your patience. Uh, thank you again. I just wanted to ask you, every first grader in DPSCD has visited Detroit Zoo. Does Charles H. Wright have a similar program? We don't. 
Maybe we should. I, I about to say, is, 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 is that more of a financial incentive that you, that you would need in order to provide that, or is that something that you just haven't? Uh, as I mentioned, there's no absence of groups, come, particularly student groups, coming through the museum. It's at capacity right now. What we're okay. trying to figure out is how to add more capacity. Yeah. So certainly if we did something for first graders that we would need uh, to have additional tour guides, additional security, additional et cetera. But yeah, it's something we could do. And you should you should come up with a plan for that financially. Um, this, this, I also Zoo use, does have a millage. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. I'll pick it up what you're putting down. I got it. I got it. I got it. <laughs> um, I also just wanted to ask you um, very quickly. Can you just go over because this is talked about a lot, and I want to make sure we get this straight. Can you just go over? what exactly the exhibit about Sally Hemings was? Because I know we're talking about Thomas Jefferson, but this is actually about Sally Hemings. And you actually, and I remember this because I was there, you actually had a descendant from Sally Hemings' family that was there. And it was actually focusing on her and what she went through. Correct, yeah. Uh, that's a little bit Not on Thomas Jefferson. So, uh, first of all, the selection of that exhibit predates me. I'll just say that, that when I arrived at the right, the museum was, that exhibition was in crates at the museum, uh, meaning it was ready to be installed. Uh, what we did do in response to the reaction from the community is we worked with Monticello to restructure that exhibit to focus more on Sally Hemings with the uh, assistance of her descendant who I believe is now, incidentally, the chair of the Monticello board. Um, And so one of the things that Monticello has tried to do in recent years is to bring this complete story of of Thomas Jefferson to light. And that has come through genealogy work that they've done that's found that many people in the Virginia area are actually descendants. And they're black, they're white, and they are mixed descendants of Jefferson. Um, but what we did do is we turned the exhibition on its head to foreground Sally Hemings. And we basically, you know, a museum doesn't necessarily uh, say this is what happened. Or We put out all the facts. And I think what most people believe is that she was uh, coerced. But the factual record on Sally Hemings is such that you, you'd have to make that uh that particular decision about what happened to her. It is not in the record anywhere. She has not made any statements about it, et cetera. So, but we did foreground her. The other thing that we foreground in the exhibition, which most people don't realize, is that Monticello is a beautiful estate, but all of the grounds, all of the furniture, everything there was built by enslaved people. And so the exhibit foregrounds all the things that those enslaved people also created that people don't realize or think about when they think about Monticello. They go to this beautiful facility and they see that. So, you know, again, our our options were not great at that moment. Uh, We could have left the exhibit in crates, paid what was a considerable uh, fee for the exhibition. We'd already signed the contract. And then have empty galleries for what would have been a period of a year. So uh, that's where we... was not Again, it's not a perfect solution, but there weren't a lot of perfect solutions in that moment, mm-hmm. other than to move the narrative such that it focused on the things that we, were think, we thought were important about that story. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Member Young. All right, there's no additional questions, concerns. Oh, Member Benson? Yes, I didn't see your hand. 
just wanted to address some of the things, items. Number one, um, my wife or I have never received CDBG money, nor would we be allowed through federal law or city or state law. just want to make that very clear. And then just as a uh, trustee, just want to make it very clear that the right was first in the pool when it came to the world's largest Kanara. And so the right's participation in building the world's largest uh, Kanara for Kwanzaa this past year was huge. And as a board, we're still very interested in the right paying a, a major role when it comes to Kwanzaa and the celebrations throughout the week. But also people have to remember there are other organizations who would like to play roles as well. And so what could also be the other narrative is that the right dominates in Kwanzaa. It doesn't allow other organizations to take a leading role in any of the days throughout Kwanzaa. And so the right this past year made the decision as a board member supported this to allow families to be with their staff, to be with their families throughout the week of Kwanzaa and immediately following the Christmas holiday as well, which is also something that we should be looking at how we support our staff and the quality of life of those members. In addition, it allowed other organizations to play a greater role in the Kwanzaa landscape. And so we really supported that and we're hoping to play a, a role in the future. But I'm hoping that we can continue to coordinate and collaborate with the other organizations who really want to take a larger role in Kwanzaa, but still take a leadership position at that, at, with that celebration for the Wright Museum. And in addition, um, when we talk about membership, I have here a membership note on my key, which lets, which lets the Wright know that I can have free membership or free access when I come into the museum and that I am a member. It also allows me free access to 1,100 museums around the country. And that can be had for as little as $135. Those $100 if you're a member of the Divine Nine. And we allow entry level for general residents of the city of Detroit, $35 membership. And there are even $5 memberships for youth. And so the challenge for me would be that all of my colleagues would become members of the Charles H. Wright. And they can be done for such a small amount. And this really show our commitment to the right. And then visit. And then utilize that reciprocal agreement with the 1,100 other museums around the country which allowed my family to go to the Los Angeles County Museum of Natural History when we were there. It allows access to the MOCAD in Detroit, the DIA in Detroit, the Charles H. Wright as well, and as well as the Historical Museum. And so these are all things that are accessible when you become a member of the right at the proper level. So I'm hoping that we can continue that. And when it comes to membership on the right, there is a uh, nominating committee. And everybody, including myself, who is a trustee, has to go through that process. There are no free rides, and there are other obligations when it comes to be a member. And that's what we have to look at when it comes to black excellence. There are no free rides. This is not free. And the reason that we have an $8 million endowment versus a $300 million endowment is because we have allowed chaos to be normalized. It's not normal. We don't have to live hand to mouth. And we can support black excellence. Thank you. Right. When, uh, the only additional thing I would add about Kwanzaa is that the right is also a leader in Kwanzaa initiatives around the country. Uh, we were uh, put together a coalition of 12 African-American museums around the country now three, four years ago when I first came to begin to elevate Kwanzaa, you know, when it was first, uh, I mean, not when it first, uh, uh, when it was passed, so we, it's something that we do uh, do with other organizations. In addition to Juneteenth, we have a similar relationship with those museums around Juneteenth. So we play a role in these uh, celebrations, not just locally, but nationally. 
All right. Well, we appreciate your time, and thank you to all my colleagues for your questions. Um, we did place this into executive session, so we will um, consider some of the requests that were made today. Appreciate the work, and we look forward to seeing you all again soon. All right. If there is nothing else to come before us, uh, we're going to stand in recess until our 2 p.m. Uh, budget session. This meeting will stand in recess.